welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and we're doing something fun today. I am joined by not one, but two very special guests. Welcome to the show, Bridget Hilton and Joe Huff. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Okay, you guys get to take turns, but if you could first share with us who you are and what you do. Uh, I'm Bridget Hilton. I live in Los Angeles, California, and I just co-wrote a book with Joe, who's also on the show, um, called Experiential Billionaire. We also have a company together called Listen. That's a social enterprise. And um, I'm I'm just a a girl trying to have a lot of experiences in life, (laughs) trying to live a fulfilling life. Yeah. So um, what Bridget said, we wrote a book, uh, Experiential Billionaire, Build a Life Rich in Experiences and Die with No Regrets. That really is who I think I am, and we both are really, we've both been uh, trying to fill our life with meaningful experiences for over a decade together. And that was how we we started our company, Listen, um, which is actually a social enterprise audio company where every headphone and speaker that we sell, we help provide hearing aids um, to people around the world. And um, I live in Los Angeles with my wife and two small children. And that alone creates quite a lot of experiences for me. <laughs> so. Could one of you please tell us what is an experiential billionaire? Sure. I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, the thing about experiential billionaire is it really is the idea that we need to shift how we think about wealth. And, you know, we've all been taught our whole lives that, you know, wealth is amassing a lot of money and that that equals happiness. But when you ask people toward the end of their life, or even really through most stages of their life, you know, the things that have brought them the most happiness, it's generally not money, it's generally an experience they have. And we actually know this because we ran a survey of over 20,000 people. Our idea of what it means to become an experiential billionaire is to get to the point where you're living a life that's so rich in experiences that if something suddenly happens and you run out of time, you're not going to have massive end of life regrets because you're going to have known that you were living your life to the fullest. You were really trying to do things with your life and not putting off life for some future that might not exist or spending all of your time trying to make money and hoping that you'll get a chance to spend it doing things later. That's really the simple term. Well, and that's what I wanted to talk with you both about, because you, as you said, you wrote the book, Experiential Billionaire. And I was like, this is such like, this is how I want to live my life. And I think, frankly, Bridget and Joe, a lot of people feel that way. And then they feel very practical constraints holding them back. So that's part of what we want to dive into today. But first, I gotta, I gotta know several things about you guys. So first of all, what are you to each other? Business partners. Business partners. Bestie. Yeah. (laughs) I I just think anyone who's written a book together, like you've been through war together, you're comrades. (laughs) Or or arch enemies. (laughs) (laughs) Just depends on the day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We've been working together. We met in 2012 and we literally, um, 
we met and I shared an idea that I had with him about uh, a business. And we like, I'm not kidding, like high fived and jumped on a plane to China, like a week after we met, like we didn't know each other. And like, we've just been like, you know, thick as thieves ever since. So it's, it's funny. It's like, you just never know. It's like who you meet and like, what's going to happen. Like we it's, we've traveled around the world since then we wrote a book. We've had several companies together. You just never know. That is one of life's most delicious surprises, right? Is when you just land on somebody that you have instant chemistry with and just you both uplift one another. Like you're better because you know each other. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite things in the world. Okay. I would love a little bit of backstory where I would love to go with this today, you guys, is I would really like to talk about how you have done this because I think it's super easy to talk about this wistfully and to say, well, what you've done and you've traveled the world and you've had adventures and you've interacted with really interesting people and you've created an enormous amount of social good. And what happens, I think, is when we see that in the ether, we feel like the other. So I want to invite everyone that's joining us in on this conversation, I want to invite them to the table and I want to break down that wall that separates like the people who are doing from the people who feel wistful about wanting to do. And I want to talk about like, really practical stuff that gets in your way and how you all moved it out of your way. So to make this make a little bit of sense, can you, Joe, give me a little bit of your backstory that like led you to this place where you and Bridget were able to create this together? Like, why are you all even talking about this? Yeah, well, first of all, we're both super independently wealthy. (laughs) We uh, have I knew it. That is great to know. Trust funds, huge trust funds. I knew this was just a book by two trust fund babies who who've been on a few trips together. Yeah, I haven't even read the book. I had someone write it. I don't even know what it says. (laughs) So it's just a total. Yeah, Um, it was was just a fun project. Yeah, what was this again? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Quite the opposite. We both uh, we both grew up, you know, really humble beginnings. Um, We both grew up uh, in the Midwest, blue collar families, that whole thing. we jokingly like to say the closest experience to a trust fund we ever had was trusting our parents would fund a trip to the ice cream truck. You know, that was about <laughs> as close as it got to a trust fund. So yeah, so in my in my particular case, um, I had a, and I'll give you the condensed story, the, the quick story, but um, I had a really uh, important moment when I was a teenager where um, my father had a near-death experience at you know, a very young age at 48 years old, very suddenly out of nowhere. Um, and uh, he wound up needing a heart transplant and it was just really traumatic. And uh, we thought we were we were going to lose him at that particular time. Um, the story has a happy ending. He actually got the transplant, but that moment gave me this really great gift of urgency because watching this all happen, wondering, you know, all the things my dad still wanted to do but hadn't and wondering you know thinking about all the other people that live life like that putting off their future for some you know some day that might not exist and that that just lit this fire in me to try to do things and i I didn't have i to your point exactly i was the other you know like i looked at people like everybody else and thought you know i can't do that i don't have any way to do that any means to do that so suddenly i was just faced with this reality that all those excuses don't matter 
you know, like I can say whatever I want about why I can't do whatever, but that's not going to get me any closer to doing anything at all. So instead, I just started trying to do the things that I wanted to do without any real idea of what would work or what I could do. Um, and again, really the book and our, our whole way of life is based on this idea of, you know, taking responsibility and taking action, you know, for, for your life. So what I did is I wound up investing in all these experiences, like I, I things that didn't cost money, right? Because I didn't have any. So I, I tried doing stand up comedy with a friend of mine that wanted to do comedy. And I wound up, you know, going and getting a motorcycle and a motorcycle license. And, you know, I just did a bunch of random little things that added a ton of value to my life. But those things led to me having more life experiences. And those things, again, this is a very short, you know, con condensation of a couple of, you know, big periods of my life. Those things led to me having experiences in life and building relationships with people through those experiences that led to opportunities to have more experiences. And some of those opportunities, really important distinction or, or important point to make is that um, those, some of those opportunities actually are linked to the financial success as well that we can find in life, which is interesting because I had thought, you know, like I didn't really have a choice. It was one or the other. And I wound up getting up an opportunity to start a company. And I'm just going to say right now that that's a really gross exaggeration of what we started. It was a very small operation, a two person, uh, uh, graphic t-shirt company in a small garage, but, um, the person that asked me to do that with them believed in me because they knew I could do things and um, I could figure out how to get things done. And I was, you know, willing to try and take action. And it worked. We actually wound up turning that company and that company morphed, by the way, from into a different company, a shipping company. Uh, but we grew that company into a hundred person business. Along the way, I stopped doing all the things I loved. And this is again why this experiential billionaire concept like becomes so like important is I suddenly wound up feeling like my dad. I was actually working all the time and I wasn't really doing anything but that. And I kind of caught myself um, because um, some other things that happened brought it to light that this was going on. So I actually decided to leave the company and I left that and started trying to figure out how to do things that mattered to me again. And that led to me working with charities. Again, I had no idea how to do this. And I wasn't like independently wealthy. I, I thought I'll start a company again that uses the proceeds to help charities. And that led to, you know, I had, I had a pretty good idea that was allowing me to um, travel and work in places like Haiti and Guatemala and do some things like give clean water and build schools and whatnot. But that led to Bridget calling me one day and Bridget and I were acquaintances, but we didn't really know each other that well. And uh, she showed me this video of a person hearing for the first time. And that's what brought us together. You know, she showed me that video and told me her idea for this other company. And I thought, oh my God, we, we've got to do this. But I think the really important story arc to keep in mind is that I, I didn't really have any means at all. And I found a way by just taking steps to get to somewhere. And it didn't even lead me where I thought I was going, but it led me somewhere. And that was uh, something cool. And then Bridget, I think, can jump in and probably give you a condensed version on sure. where that and I led think us. That's like what we really had in common is that we both came from you know, nothing. And we had to put in those like really, really like long, hard days and long years of like, working really like crappy jobs or whatever, but like taking small steps to get to where we are and it, it worked. But so I grew up in um, Flint, Michigan, which is 
I'm sure you know it's famous for like a water crisis and it's not famous for like a lot of successful people coming from there, unfortunately. When I was a kid, I didn't really have any like role models of like anyone that was doing anything outside of like the auto industry. My whole family works for General Motors um, and they still do. You know, I wasn't really that interested in the auto industry, but I, what I was interested in was, was music. And that was really like my safe space and something that I just was so passionate about from like when I was little, like still. But um, when I was a kid, it was like the number one thing in my life. Um, but there was obviously like the problems of like, I didn't know anyone in music. Um, everybody said I was being unrealistic because it was like, you know, nothing. No one knew anyone that was like in the music industry there. And I lived in, you know, Flint, Michigan, where obviously it's not like LA or New York where you're like, oh, my friend's, you know, mom works at a record label or something. Like there's nothing like that. <laughs> so what I did is I started taking jobs, you know, quote unquote, in the music industry, like picking up trash at music venues and like getting coffee for people at radio stations. And um, there's actually a great like rock music scene there because like, I'm sure, you know, like all the best like music comes from places that aren't great. <laughs> so there's like actually really great venues and stuff there. But uh, I would work at all of those making like either $0 or $5 an hour, you know, skipping things like my high school prom and stuff just to like clean up trash at like a music venue and watch a concert. After like five years of that fun life, I, I never ended up like becoming like a rock star or anything, but I did land a job in the mailroom at Universal Music Group when they used to have an office in Detroit. I like will never, ever forget. It was like the best day of my life. I got this job that was like $20,000 a year. And I thought that <laughs> it was just like, I literally thought like I was like set for life <laughs> because I was like living in my car at the time any dollars. I was just like, oh my God, I'm like so rich. And as funny as that is, it's like, it really did lead me to like this incredible life where I ended up moving to California in 2007. And I ended up working with like all these incredibly successful people. Well, at the time they were like just in the beginning of their careers, but I got to see this career arc of Taylor Swift, of Drake, Kanye, like the Killers, Lady Gaga, The Weeknd, Rihanna, like all these people that everybody knows now, like I was seeing their careers in the the very beginning of these stages. And I was like in my early 20s at the time. So I had like a great time in Hollywood, like in my 20s. <laughs> and I never like made a ton of money or anything, but I was having all these really cool experiences. And I realized around that time, like, wow, like music has been so important in my life and had like taken me out of this place where like potentially it could have been like, you know, a really bad situation. For example, like my sister uh, still lives there, but she in that time frame, like she was like a heroin addict and she was like in and out of jail. And I was like looking at that situation and being like, that could have been me if I wasn't like passionate about music. So one day I came across this video that Joe was talking about and of somebody hearing for the first time. And I just thought that would be so cool if we could like give one person hearing, you know? So I thought up of this like plan. I was like, we're going to, I'm going to start like this company that sells audio products. And then I'm going to give the proceeds to giving hearing around the world because I don't have any money. So I obviously need to uh, create something that makes money. <laughs> and it was pretty ignorant because I didn't even think about like, you know, Apple and like Amazon and all these massive, massive companies like creating these same exact products basically. So I had to look and see like how it could be differentiated. And, you know, around that time, Joe and I linked up and we thought of like making them out of wood. And that was really like the, the thing that made it different. And so when you saw someone wear like wood headphones, you might ask about them and then you could say like, oh, and by the way, they give people hearing. 
But long story short, we traveled the world. We've given over 50,000 people hearing at this point. It was by far the greatest experience of my life. Like just when you see someone here for the first time, it's like everyone's crying, you know, it's, it's like very emotional. I'll never, ever forget like the first time we saw it. And um, since then, it's just been such a blessing in our life. But, um, you know, everyone was seeing all the stuff that we were doing with Listen in the press. And like, like, for example, I was in like Forbes 30 under 30. But at the time, I literally had like less than $30 in my bank because we were just giving away all of our money and traveling the world. And so I had all these people reaching out to us, like, you know, from our hometowns or from wherever, and they would be like, oh my God, you guys are killing it. Like, can I borrow some money? And we would be like, no, we don't actually have any money, but we are experiential billionaires. <laughs> we have we have a wealth of experiences in our life, but we don't really focus on the money part, but we feel like we're super rich in life experiences. And that's kind of how the book came to be. I think that one of the things that's really important about both of your journeys is you had a focus on experiential wealth, even when you didn't have a dollar to your name, even when you yeah. didn't know where the next dollar was coming from. Do you think that that is something that is inherent and or can it be taught? Like, did you write your book, Experiential Billionaire, because you can teach people to see the world this way? I mean, I think so. I think that the reason why we wrote it is to not just, you know, tell our stories because our stories are just the vehicle to like help other people do these things. And that's why we were so intentional about putting all of these tools in the book and putting the exercises and like really trying to help because- it's cool when you tell a story, but it's much cooler if you like help someone through a process and like help them get to like what they want to do. That's like the real goal. So I think that anyone can think this way and can live this way. It's just that they're not ever taught. Yeah. Our personal stories are proof that anyone can do it, right? That's really why, you know, so many people have read the book and reached out and said, wow, you guys are so vulnerable about how terrible things were. Like it's, it, it reads like a tragedy at quite a few times <laughs> in the book. It's, and, you know, people, it's funny. Sometimes people will reach out and say, do you have any like, you know, things you can share? I haven't read the book yet, but are there any negative moments? I'm like, yeah, I think it's mostly negative moments, <laughs> but, um, you know, but that's because, you know, that's really important for people to see that, you know, the one thing about life is, you know, you can make more money, right? And no matter how much you make, you can lose it all, you can make more, you can lose it all. Time, you can't make more of, right? It's just going away. And that's the thing that, you know, once you get that urgency for life, you can figure out how to make sure you're investing your time in something valuable, no matter where you are financially. And and it's hard, you know, we understand, like, I mean, when I say we understand what it's like to be, you know, broke and not have any, you know, a dollar to our name, like, we really understand we've gone through, since our friendship, we've gone through periods where it's been really, really challenging. And even in the process of getting the book written and getting the book out, it's been really, really difficult at times, but that's the sacrifice sometimes you make for the experience, right? The experience that you want to have. But um, at the end of like that kind of listen journey that, you know, of us traveling, which ended right around uh, COVID because we couldn't do the missions, we truly looked at this and thought the most important thing we can do is show people how to do this, how to actually turn their goals and their dreams into realities so that they don't have these end of life regrets or these regrets about how they've spent their time. Because so many people were reaching out to us and saying, you know, 
that's really cool what you do. You know, I, I can't do that because X. And it's like, yeah, you can, you know, like I'm telling you, like we, we started something with, you know, nothing. And to give proof points to, you know, into, to add a little context into our stories, you know, when I say like we started a company, like the t-shirt company I started, it was with like a thousand dollars, you know, like the, when Bridget said, let's do listen, like she cashed out a $5,000 401k. It wasn't like we went and got like, let's raise a million dollars from a VC, you know, like that stuff wasn't even on our radar. Like we were like, we have to figure out how to just, you know, try something. Yeah, it's funny because we look at money like it's not an infinite resource. And it is. In in a relative sense, money is an infinite resource. And of course, figuring out how to tap into that is many people's life's work. Like, I totally get that. I don't live in the dream world. I don't live off of vibes. Like, I have a mortgage. At the same time, we treat time like we can reproduce it. We can add more of it. Time is the only expiring resource. Money can refill. It can ebb. It can flow. Time, mm -hmm. it's just expiring inventory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think about it. that. Trust me. Like all day, every day. I mean, Joe and I have like literally like I used to like sleep in my car, but I've also slept on private jets. You know what I mean? Like I've been super poor and I've seen like the top 1% of the world, but my happiness didn't always like correlate with the ups and the downs. And also I can't like produce more time in the time that I'm making more money. Right. So yeah, you're totally right. I guess like a good thing to maybe start if you want to like give listeners actionables and like some toolkits and stuff like that. The things that we really work on uh, sharing with folks is uh, how to find that urgency, how to visualize what you want, because a lot of people like myself, when I was young, like even though you have urgency, a lot of people haven't even taken the time to figure out what it is they want to do. You know, and that's that's something we kind of push onto the back burner. And then once you figure out what you want to do and you couple it with that urgency, what are the steps? How do you take action? How do you, you know, start to like put things into frameworks and how do you keep yourself accountable? And, you know, what are the ways that you can increase your odds and your probabilities? Um, so, you know, those are really like what the entire book and message are you know, about and what we try to deliver. Yeah, I mean, I love that you all put together like a literal manual and we'll jump into some of these very practical actions that people can take. But one thing I do want to get on the table is I actually don't think it's morbid to talk about the fact that we have an expiration date. I mean, it, it's it's just a part of this game called life, right? Like it doesn't last forever. And I don't think it's morbid. I actually think it's incredibly helpful to memento mori, right? To remember we die. I would, I suspect that almost every single person joining us in this conversation today has lost someone too soon. I mean, Joe, you talk about how, what an impression it made on you when you almost lost your dad too soon, right? Too soon for him, much less you, right? And yeah. I think that almost everyone joining us in this conversation has seen someone's life get cut short. That is very, very sad, but also should help cultivate in us a spirit of appreciation for the fact that like we're still here we will all eventually expire what are we going to do with the time that we have left like i actually find it very motivating maybe i'm sick i feel the same trust yeah me. like i get charged up by that i'm like wait a minute what do i want people to say at my funeral because this ain't it like i'm not done do you does that resonate with you 
Oh, did gosh, you yeah. do the exercise at the end of the book? Because if you are thinking about the funeral stuff, you definitely should, because that's like the perfect exercise. Yeah, I literally scanned it in, you guys. I want to share, <laughs> like, I want to do the exercises in your book with my community. I want to like do yeah. a little book club situation. I would love to. Let's do yeah. it. I'll join. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that stuff is so, so key, you know, and it's funny because, um, when we ask people, this is like, this is part of like the irony of our whole message is everybody knows this. Like we're not telling people stuff they don't know, but nobody acts like it. That's the problem, right? We all know it. And if you ask people like what matters most and, you know, they'll all say, oh, experiences and, you know, all like my relationships and the things that, that, you know, you're, you're going to expect on those lists. But then when you see how people spend their time, it's like if you told somebody, what's the best investment I can make? And they said, oh, it's gold. And then you look, well, what are you spending all your money on? They're like, oh, silver. It's like, why? Like, you know, like you just said, you know, it's gold, but that's just exactly what's going on. They're like going, they're putting all their time into something else and putting it off as though they'll have more time as low as there'll always be more time to figure that out later. And that's where people get in trouble. Right. So that's what, uh, that's what the death stuff I think is really about. And that's why when people get, you know, cause a lot of people do say, Oh my God, I find that's, you know, scary or morbid. And we just turn around and go, isn't it scarier to think you're going to waste your life maybe? Cause you didn't think about it. So. Yeah. It's funny. We actually got like a lot of, we did like a survey of a bunch of our friends and family and stuff when we were making the title for the book, like the subtitle has the word die in it. And there was a lot of people that were like, don't put that word. That's so negative. And we were like, well, everyone does it. So. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. all doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, it is. Hide it. Yeah. <laughs> the, your your book is experiential billionaire build a life rich in experiences and die with no regrets and one of the things that you say in the book i don't remember which one of you said it but you said your calendar holds your real wealth and i just think that there's a lot to consider there and how we spend our time i thought that that was very well stated um i want to talk now about okay so what are we going to do about it and one of the questions that i have for you is when we talk about living a life of adventure. And by the way, adventure for you all, it involved everything from like the seven wonders of the world to studying with monks to speeding across glaciers. Like you've done so many things that people think of when they think of adventure. I just want to make room for the folks who adventure to them might be learning Spanish, like adventure to them might be learning how to play the guitar or um, taking a class or, you know, or, or visiting uh, the coast in the same country that they live in. So, so I want to remind everyone that success is whatever you define and adventure is whatever you feel called to do and, and, and may very well not be doing. So with, with that in mind, and as everyone listening holds space for like, a thing they really want to do. And they're just, they, they have nothing but excuses and roadblocks as to why they're not able to do it. What role, as we think about adventures and having a more playful, adventurous life, what role does radical accountability play in moving toward the life that you want? Because that is a concept I talk about a lot, and I've never seen it really applied to in this way. 
Yeah, I can uh, speak really directly to that. That that was a big turning point in my life. You know, when I was younger, I actually, I got kicked out of high school. And this is before my dad's heart transplant or any of that. And I had been really good at making excuses about why everything wasn't my fault. And, you know, up until then, I just kind of was skating by. And that moment was the moment where I kind, kind of finally was like, for the first time in my life, caught holding the bag where I was like, oh, wait, like my excuses don't actually matter. Like my life is going down this path that I don't want it to go down because I'm letting the tides move me Mm -hmm. around. And I decided to try something different and take, you know, radical responsibility and, and accountability for my life. And I decided to try to make up a whole year of high school and and get back into high school in time to graduate um, in my senior year. And I did. I was able to do that. And that was really empowering because it taught me that I am in control much. And I think we all are much, much more than we think. Right. And I think that that idea of, you know, accountability is something that you know, it's it's just so much easier for us to say we can't control our it's too hard or these are things that this isn't me or you know all of the things that the, the excuses we heard in our study where you know I don't have time I don't have money I don't have the you know I, I don't know how to start or whatnot. Um, but once you just decide like this is what I want and you give yourself like some boundaries and say like this is something I'm going to, I'm going to start doing things about it. Um, You can make magic happen. Some tools that we use in the book, for instance, is we tell someone else like, Hey, you know, this is a goal that I have, you know, I want you to check in with me because getting an accountability partner will raise the chances of you achieving a goal or following through 65%. And if you have like specific follow-up appointment, it raises it to 95%. I mean, those are crazy numbers. You know, if you, if you had a 95% chance of winning the lottery, would you play? Yeah, you would play, of course. Right. So by doing those types of, of things, then, and then taking it and saying, okay, like, you know, again, another example for me is like when, when I wanted to go skydiving, I told three friends, we picked a date six weeks in the future, we saved up the money and we went, but we put it on the calendar, right? There was accountability. There was a couple other people we committed to and we did it. And I know tons and tons of people that throughout my life have said, I want to go skydiving that have never gone. But you just have to have that accountability because nobody else can really make you start that. And nothing is as motivating as witnessing your own progress. So that's why I just always encourage people to just start with the smallest thing they can think of because the internets would have you buy into the idea that it has to be absolutely radical action, burn the boats, like, you know, jump off the building and knit the parachute in the air. And I'm like, what if, (laughs) what if you just did the smallest thing and then the next day you did the next thing and then the next day you did the next thing? Exactly. And we have an exercise in the book that's called low to high ROI. And it's exactly that. It's like breaking down, like say your goal in life is to like go to Italy, right? And like do a road trip around Italy. So we take you through an exercise. that's like, what's the first step that you can take like today? It doesn't have to be like buy plane tickets, right? It's like figure out when you want to go and then like figure out a plan on like, you know, maybe you can like download Duolingo and like start learning a couple words of like, you know, Italian, or maybe you figure out like what Italian wine you like, or what region you want to go to, or just like little things. And like, along the way to that big experience, like you're learning things, you're getting like these small experiences on the way. So like, even if you never go to Italy, like say something happens, and like, you'd never go, like, you're going to have all these like little things on 
the way that's like making you like a more interesting person, more fulfilled person and well-rounded human being in, in a way. You actually nailed it on the head, Ella, when you said that, you know, some people's adventure might be taking a class or learning a language or an instrument or playing a sport. That was the vast majority of the top answers in our in our study. When we actually asked 20,000 people what they wanted most to do in life, those were the things. It wasn't climb Mount Everest. It wasn't stay in overwater bungalows in the Maldives. It was literally, I've always wanted to do something that was really attainable and then just needed some small steps. So. Well, I, I don't know if this is a distinctly American tendency, but I'm, I'd be willing to bet that it largely is. In our defense, so to speak, we are programmed for accomplishment and achievement. You know, we are told that this is the linear path to success at all costs. Exactly. And I bought into that for years and years and years. And a few years ago, and I find this deeply ironic because you have an entire chapter on the power of play. And a few years ago, I sort of took stock and I was like, I don't know when the last time I had fun was. And by the way, like, <laughs> I'm a good time. <laughs> okay? So I was like, I don't recall the last time I just had like a just fun and, and held my sides from laughing, which I actually feel sad for that person. It was me, but I feel sad for past me because that's insane. I don't know how long I had been on that train where that statement was true. I don't know. It's not true anymore because I really committed to bringing more play and adventure into my life. Can we talk a little bit about the power of play, what you mean by that and what it looks like in real life? Because I think every adult needs a reminder. Yeah. I mean, I am like a big kid. Like I love this stuff. This was one of my, maybe my favorite chapter to write in the book because it was just like, I was like giggling the whole time. And when we were going through the process of writing this book, we were actually going through a lot of really terrible things in our lives and like our personal lives. So this gave it like levity and like made, made it really fun to write. Yeah. I like to think about how like one day in your past, you know, you had like the last sleepover with your childhood friends and you just like didn't realize it. Right. And the last time you played hide and seek or like you played a prank on someone or had a snowball fight or whatever. And it's like, why? Like, why did you stop doing that? A and like B, you didn't even realize that like that was the last time. Right. So one of my yeah, no one gives you a memo the last yeah. time you climb a tree. No. And it's like, but why did you even stop? Right. Because people are like, you're afraid of being judged or whatever. It's like so dumb. So in our survey, one of my favorite questions was, um, what's an experience you did as a child that you'd like to do again? And like, why did you stop? And can you still do it? I liked a lot of those answers because it was like, it was just really easy stuff. Like none of it was like expensive. None of it was hard to do. It was like, I miss staying up all night and telling ghost stories with my friends or like, you know, I miss like playing laser tag. It's like, okay, you can literally do that today. <laughs> so I thought that that was really fascinating. And I think that's really important to like intentionally play. Will you, will you both humor me? I want us each to share a few ways we can play because I want to inspire people. I think that some people are so out of touch with this concept that like nothing's even springing to mind. And of course you have exercises to walk people through that, but let's, if you'll humor me, let's just share a few. You just shared one. I'll share that I started rollerblading. I am terrible at it. I don't know how people do that well. I still don't, but it makes me feel like a little kid to do it. <laughs> I want to have like a water gun fight. So I'm going to, Yes. Buy, like I'm going to invest what, like $20 in getting <laughs> really 
In, in, I just my- did that. That's so funny. Like recently over the summer, I like, like got into this is all accessible. <laughs> we can do this sort of thing. You know, I will not pass if I'm going for a run, I will not pass like a jungle gym or anything like that without playing on it for just a second <laughs> because I can because I don't want that memo that's like, hey, Ella, this is your last day. Like this is the last time you climbed a tree. I will still climb a tree. Um, yeah. I want to have a party where everyone wears the bridesmaid's dress or wedding dress they have in their closet. <laughs> Yeah. And at the end of the party, I, I want to jump in a pool. Yeah, I did this right. party where it was a baked potato party and, and it was a black tie baked potato party so that everyone had to wear the nicest thing in their closet. And we had a baked potato bar and like, <laughs> it was so ridiculous. But Joe, I like how have you played recently? Well, so I, I'm, well, there's two things. First of all, I still skateboard. I still um, bike. I mountain bike. I do all kinds of that kind of stuff. Um, but I also have kids. So I'm playing all the day, every day. Like I'm, I'm always on the jungle gym. First of all, like I, I, and I'm never not playing with my kids when, like when they, I see other dads out with the kids, the other dads aren't in the tree. I'm in the tree. I'm the first one in the tree. I'm like, Hey kids, let's go in the tree. You know, like everybody always laughs at me because I'm always playing with the kids. But I think that whatever you can think of that is like a ridiculous way to like, as an adult that you would think might be funny to act, that's, that's a green light that's telling you that that's what you should be doing. So, yeah, I love the story in the book about, so I, I made over uh, the pandemic, my, one of my many projects was uh, making my own wine, but I didn't want to like, just do that. I wanted to like, make it like into like this play thing. So I, once it was done and I wanted people to like come over for a tasting, I made everyone write a jingle for like this fake wine brand that I had. And like, it was one of the most fun nights of my life because everyone was just being silly. And like, you know, we're in our thirties and forties and like, they're just like up there singing and dancing about like this fake wine brand. (laughs) Okay. But did you make them sign over the IP just in case? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I should have. Yeah. I, I just uh, was with some friends. Literally, we got a piece of construction paper and we created a customized Jeopardy game <laughs> that was all about one of the friends whose birthday it was. And everyone got cowbells. That was their ringer to like, you know, guess the answers. And I mean, it took, you know, the guys that actually wrote out all the answers and stuff probably like an hour, but it cost like $2 at a craft store to like do this. Uh-huh. And it was so funny. Everyone was yelling and screaming. It was a huge competition. Competition. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it's so easy to do that stuff. You can learn a lot from kids. Just again, I have my my four year old. Like I'm learning every day. You, you know, watch kids. Not creepily follow kids, but <laughs> follow their lead. Yeah, if you have kids or if other you know kids them, that you know yes, then follow the you know see what they're doing. But uh, otherwise, yeah, safety first. Safety yeah, first we're not recommending now. following random yeah, children. Yeah, yeah, not recommending <laughs> a, a solo adults in playgrounds. Not a good idea. Well, I appreciate that because I think it's hard. I'm, I don't necessarily gravitate toward like being as silly as I possibly can, but I definitely want to have fun. I don't want that part of me to die. And so for the people who feel maybe more introverted or maybe like grow up Ella and Bridget and Joe, like I would just encourage you to think of three ways you used to have fun or you think you could have fun and just try it. Like what's the, the, the stakes are pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> The last thing that I really wanted to ask you about in terms of like, okay, but how to do this is you talk a lot about the role of, and there are several words we could use here, the role of your network, which 
to me is intimidating to some people because they're like, I haven't cultivated a network. But really, you talk about the role of community in building an intentional life is what I would call it. And a word I'm trying to use now instead of community even is connection. Because at the end of the day, one thing that we are so lacking and at the same time benefit from just disproportionately is connection. So your community can be three people and it can be 30 and it can be 30,000. Could you share with me the role that you believe that community and connection plays in building the life that you want? Oh man, it's the it's the key honestly in so many ways to growth and and again accountability. It really touches on everything. It's interesting because you know all the things we talked about also by the way, I just want to add in there's like science around how the, they actually have proven health benefits to increase your longevity. And that's having new and novel experiences, play, you know, laughter, um, you know, relationships though themselves. And part this part here that we're talking about connections are so directly linked to um our well-being and our longevity. But the funny thing is, so much of the stuff that we talked about just now directly also relates because that's how we form connections, right? If you go have a water balloon fight with someone that you've never met before, you're probably going to be closer friends with them than the person that you sat next to in a cubicle for a year. You know, you're going to be like, this is a person that I had a really like funny you know time with. The more that you do that, the more that you're able to find those people that inspire you and that, you know, you and hopefully can in return uh, inspire. And, you know, there's a, there's a saying that that, uh, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I really think that's powerful. I think that's something that the more that you fulfill your dreams and goals around others, the more they feel empowered to fulfill their dreams and goals. And I think that that's something that just, you know, in a in the right community can just have endless potential. Yeah. And if you look at like the top regrets of the dying, one of the like top three is like not keeping in touch with your friends. That's something that everyone on this um, you know, podcast could do today. They could think of one person that they had lost touch with and that they still think about and just send a text, send a message on Instagram, you know, email, whatever it is. Like it could take five minutes and it could honestly reduce your regrets at the end of your life, which is crazy. I think it's just very important to underscore the relationship between connection and building the life that you want because a lot of people, I think, would find that if they reached out for connection and reached out for community, that the consequences could very well be many more experiences, many more yeah. enriching experiences. And what's yeah. funny is the inverse is also true. I mean, you all write about this, but experiences create friendships. So if you're going out on a limb and you're joining a group and you don't really know these people, but you did some meetup or some other thing, or you came to one of my retreats, <laughs> you would meet yeah. people there. The experiences that you have create friendships and oh, yeah. vice versa. So start with one, start with the other. But I think it's really, really helpful to point out that maybe you're sitting at home and life is feeling a little bit like it's on autopilot and you're feeling a little unplugged and you're hearing us tell you to go start a water fight with your neighbors. And I'm here to tell you that first of all, don't knock it. <laughs> but secondly, just being vulnerable enough to reach out and try to form connections that will generate experiences. Reaching out and connecting with experiences 
that will generate connection. You two write about it so beautifully in this book. Where do you like people to find you? And of course, we'll make this book really easy for them to get. Experientialbillionaire.com. Joe and I also have personal sites because we do keynotes and workshops and we have lots of good stuff, lots of content, lots of free exercises. JoeHuff.com and BridgetHilton.com. Thank you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just head over to onairella.com where I put up links to all of the stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. There's no with. It's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.